Hi everyone, I'm Alex York. I'm at Founders Forum in New York City with Kevin Guo of Hive. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here. So I want to talk about Hive and the inception of the business. Mm -hmm. You guys create computer programs that analyze images. Mm -hmm. Why did you get into that space in the first place? How did you kind of see this as a void in the market you wanted to fill? Mm -hmm. So when we started this company, actually, um, this was back in 2014. I had just uh, did my undergrad and my graduate at Stanford studying computer science. Um, we actually were a very different business. We had our own consumer platform. Um, it was a startup. Uh, you know, we had uh, millions of users on on, on this product, um, and we had a problem around things like content moderation. Uh, there were some misbehaving users. We tried using third-party models out there to solve this. We realized none of that was very good, and so we had to build our own models internally. Um, and so you can say that we were our own initial customer for many years, using it for our own you know internal purposes. Over time, many of my peer uh, and, and friends, these other startup founders had, had heard about what we built, um, asked if they could buy this, uh, you know, this model from us. And so then we started almost a side hustle of selling access to these internal things we had built. By 2017, 2018, I had realized that the consumer business maybe wasn't going to become a long-lasting, enduring business, but there was something really special about the models we built for ourselves. And so we ended up basically shutting down the consumer business and turning uh, the rest of the company into what is now Hive um, in early 2018, right? So the last five and a half years, um, you know, we really just continue that original vision that we had of, you know, can we just build the best models um, initially again for us as a customer now for the rest of the world to use. And so today we work with hundreds of companies that are sending us billions of pieces of content every month. And it's really what we call is to, you know, to understand content, right? It's image, video, text, and audio data. Um, content moderation is still probably one of our largest uh, kind of well-known areas, but we do a lot more than that now. Mm -hmm. So in terms of content moderation and analyzing all those forms of data and media, mm -hmm. what were you really looking for when you first created the, the platform and the technology for yourself? And how is that different from what customers are really looking to analyze today? Yeah, so initially when we started, it was more of the kind of, I guess, the obvious uh, attributes, right? So things like graphic content, nudity and violence, um, things that definitely you, as a kind of first principle, all platforms need to be able to identify and prevent. Um, but how it's expanded has gone far beyond what we could have imagined there, right? So some, some easy examples. Um, we have our age model is a very popular one, right? Making sure that there's no minors that are present on certain platforms. That's a big one. Um, even things like uh, counterfeit logos and products. We have a logo model that's very good at identifying 10,000 different brands and making sure that's not being present where it shouldn't be. I think a model that's uh, very recent, it's, it's very top of mind for a lot of people now, is around is something AI generated or not? We have the only uh, production grade model there that can tell you for a given image or a video, um, one, is it AI generated? And then uh, two, if it is, uh, which engine made it? Was it a mid-journey or Sable Diffusion or a Dolly? And this is really useful for a lot of platforms that, um, one, let's say you're a creator platform, you wanna make sure people are on creating synthetic creators, that's bad. But the other thing is, let's say you're a big advertiser, uh, you know, like an advertising platform like a Facebook or a Google, and you wanna make sure people aren't spreading misinformation, especially around political ads, something that's very timely now. And, you know, these are not, it's for us it's interesting as we couldn't have predicted this would even exist five years ago because generative AI is fairly new. Um, but this is what's, I think, interesting about businesses. There's always new challenges that will come up, and we keep building new products to adapt. Yeah, and you alluded to it a bit there, but what is the business case for hiring or using Hive technologies from you know those other multiple different kinds of platforms perspective? Mm -hmm. Why are you guys such a good you know investment for them to make? Yeah, um, I think it's like buying any other service and there is a the trade-off of do you really want to do it yourself or should you um in a sense outsource it to a to another party that is going to be better and ultimately even cheaper potentially to you know perform that product and so for us um, it comes down to you know 
even for our very large customers, like, you know, we work for like Reddit and Snap and Spotify. These are businesses that have amazing engineering teams internally, but it turns out that they actually do not necessarily have the same access to the wide range of data and the deep experience we have to build these models. So even these very technical companies will say, look, for these type of machine learning problems, we're going to use Hive as our cloud provider. We're going to trust them the same way that they made a decision, for instance, to use an Amazon Web Services or as Google Cloud back in the day for a lot of the other compute. Um, we're not going to take all the ML work away from internal teams, but for the narrow things that we've done really well, uh, it makes all of the sense to use us rather than try to do it yourself. Yeah. You guys have also gone through pretty extensive fundraising and really high evaluations with mm -hmm. the company. Where exactly are you guys now in terms of how much money you have raised? I know it's in the multiple hundred million mm -hmm. and you know, most recently a $2 billion valuation. Mm -hmm. Where are you at with that right now and why do you think you were so attractive to investors? Yeah, I think, look, AI in this current day and age, um, it's just people would view this as the next wave, right? They're still a little mobile now as AI. I think what needs to happen in this, for any sort of, um, I guess, industry shift to occur, you need to be able to show that there can be enduring businesses built too. And I think what's unique about us is everything we, we sell and build is you know, AI models, but we also have a business model behind it. We have real customers. Um, we have a, an efficient business model. Um, our goal in the next few years is ultimately to go public and be, uh, you know, an independent business, right? And I think that's really attractive investors. I think this is something that, um, the, you know, hopefully there will be more companies like us rather than ones that are just being built for, say, an acquisition. I think it's actually important for there to be more options out there uh, and to give customers more choice ultimately. Um, but yeah, you know, we've uh, we've had great success the last few years. We've, you know, raising capital is one benchmark of that. But really, from my perspective, it's more about, you know, are we building really high quality products? Are we innovating? Do customers love using us? Um, and then ultimately, yeah, I think our end state is to say, like, can we become a cloud provider of AI models talked about in the same language as people would talk about in, uh, in Amazon services or Google Cloud. Yeah, and the Hive platform has multiple different use cases, multiple different offerings from everywhere from like a marketplace to, you know, NFT sites, yeah. things like that. Who are the majority of your customers today? Yeah, we focus primarily on companies that have a lot of content. Yeah. So it's um, social platforms, like uh, marketplaces like you mentioned, um, media companies even too. Um, uh, but more recently, what's you know, there are new customer types that we couldn't have imagined before. So, for instance, we've had several different insurance companies onboard with us at the same time in the last few months because they've noticed a massive uptick in insurance claim fraud. You know, people would put, upload an image of, say, their car bumper with a scratch on it, and it turns out that scratch was AI generated. And they noticed this because in the month of August, the number of claims for bumper damage increased by 100x or something, right? So this is it's kind of interesting to observe that our customer base too will naturally expand as these challenges enter into different domains. Totally, and as consumers start you know, using these technologies as well, you it, guys have to be even better. It, it turns out this is just human nature, right? If there is a vector through which they could abuse or take advantage of it in some way, they will find that path. And in some, in, in an argument, there's like that's what's where we exist is to provide the tools to companies to understand that problem and, and combat it. Yeah, what are some of your biggest expectations or predictions in terms of AI and Hive's use case as you know more and more of these technologies pop up, more people are using them in so many different ways. Yeah. Where do you see your biggest opportunity or expectations in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I, I think it is definitely the case that um, you know how we engage with the world is going to change very materially over the next few years. Um, what we're seeing with these general models right now is kind of precursor to that, but the concept of general intelligence um, you know, coming and in that process, it's not going to be suddenly, it's like, a, it's like a, you snap your fingers and now the world is different. It's going to change fairly gradually. And every one of those little changes will result in some sort of adaptation that we have to do as, as, as humans. And I think um, in our business hive, we exist to 
help us in that journey. Um, we want to provide tools again, primarily companies to be able to, you know, uh, in some cases, counteract the negative impacts of these things. So with one tangible example I'll give you is I think AI generated content is going to be the majority of content you consume on the internet um, in the next 10 years. And if that is true, um, there are many consequences of this. And at minimum, we would say at least you should be able to have a label that says, all right, was this thing made by a human or was it made by a model? So at least let you as a consumer have some ability to make a better judgment call, right? And I really believe that there are very few companies out there that can uh, provide that accurate kind of metadata. Um, and you know that's, that responsibility will fall on companies like us to do. Yeah. In a previous interview you did, I know you mentioned as you've grown as a leader in this company, having to realize that you know other people might be better than you at given tasks or jobs, and like just the importance of outsourcing and mm. building a team that has you know comparable skills, but in, in very different areas. Mm -hmm. What are some other lessons that you've learned as a young founder that you've had to kind of you know maybe stumble upon or, or really be conscious of as, as you've been growing your company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think absolutely. Organization building is, um, is uh, you know businesses and scaling, I think that becomes more and more of a present problem. Um, it is true, you, you know, in the early days when there were just 10 of us, I could do a lot of things myself. Um, as a business grew to 100 and now 300, um, you have to scale, right? And it comes to finding the right folks that can, like you said, you know, do things better than um, I could have done myself. And I think that's held true today, whether it's technical uh, product development, whether it's sales and business development, uh, recruiting, these are all functions. Really the goal is to hire folks that um, will be able to take ownership of that and you know, scale the business up. And then, you know, I, I think um, that is something that as a younger technical founder, right, where I did a lot of things myself to overcome that was was challenging. Um, but today, I've, I, you know, I, I totally internalized that. Yeah, totally. I want to ask too, in terms of the under 30 community, you're an under 30 alum, what is your biggest either piece of advice or something that you would advise young founders today to look out for as they're growing their own companies, given the market that we're in, the constant changes that we're seeing with different technologies? What is your advice for them and how to kind of move forward? Yeah, I think, you know, there was a period a few years back uh, when it was, you know, it was tempting to raise a lot of money um, because, you know, it was easy. I think maybe in, these were founders that hadn't seen tougher times. Myself, you could have been included in that batch as well. Um, times are changing, right? I think it turns out that, you know, it's maybe not as easy to get money anymore. You have to be a little more disciplined in how you spend and it's very deliberate in how you build, right? And so I think, you know, that's probably the kind of the biggest change I've seen for a lot of these younger founders are now going through this current time period. Um, they don't realize that it's not always so easy to build a business. In some cases, you really have to maybe get a lot of traction early on. You have to do more with less, right? I think that um, that mindset is the reality. Is it's gonna it's that austerity mindset. I think will have to last longer than most people realize. I, I don't think we're gonna go back to those one times anytime soon. What is the biggest risk you see in the AI industry right now, as someone who's you know really growing a business in it? I think our single biggest concern is that all innovation just consolidates with the existing incumbents. Yeah. I think that's really scary for the world, honestly. Um, I don't think it's good for Google, Amazon, Microsoft to basically be the single controller as well as technology. And I think even for a lot of startups that you read about in the news, it's a little odd to me that they're all, in a sense, either raising large amounts of capital from or in some cases even being being controlled by these big tech companies. And, and so I think that, again, that's why we've gone our path here, which is, you know, we haven't raised money from them. We're not even hosting their infrastructure. We built all of our own hardware ourselves. We really are trying to present an alternative. And I would hope that there are more companies that will do that too, because again, I think something that's, that's really important. And this is unusual in that in every other kind of major industry shift the last you know, few decades, there are always a lot of startups that were independent and competing and maybe, you know, not all of them succeeded, but at least there was a chance. I am concerned in this current dynamic, how it just seems that 
um, all these companies are kind of, it's a little bit uh, consolidated right now into those three businesses. And, um, you know, I hope that there's more alternatives out there. Yeah. As an up and coming company, how are you continuing to differentiate yourself and encourage customers to come to Hive as opposed to some of those incumbents? Yeah, I actually think it's because of the fact that they know that we are truly independent. That actually helps in some ways. Like, uh, as, as an example, I don't think a company like Snap, for instance, would feel very comfortable sending all their content to uh, an entity owned by Facebook, right? And so the fact that they know that we are truly not associated with big tech, um, you know, we exist primarily to serve best in class models for them without any ulterior motives. Um, that's actually really refreshing for them because every other company they work with, they have to wonder, okay, they took a lot of money from Amazon or Google. Are they really independent or are they kind of subsidiary now, right? And and so I think our story is actually clean for our customers. I actually think it, it helps a lot and it, that is with itself a value prop for them. Totally makes sense. The last question I have for you, I know that growing up you played chess mm -hmm. and for a while you thought that might be your career right. path. What are some of the through lines that you have noticed or similarities or major differences, I'm sure there are a lot, between chess and being a company founder? Yeah, no, chess was a big part of my life and I think um, it's it's funny, I you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where at the time, you know, I didn't necessarily appreciate uh, the, the game itself of like, how beautiful it could be. Now I'm playing chess more again, it's just fun. Uh, but how, how it permeates uh, everything we do, it's, it's about planning, it's about thinking a few steps ahead and wondering, okay, if I, if I do this and our editors will do this move five years down the line, what would that mean? And I think an easy example I'll give is five years ago when we, uh, you know, pivot into this business, we made the usual move of building our, our own infrastructure and not hosting on a public cloud. And our investors were stunned by this. Um, Winning against ever prevailing wisdom that was out there. The model then and now has always been you raise venture capital and you funnel it into a public cloud to host. No one builds an infrastructure. But I told them, look, you got to think a few moves ahead here. If we're really trying to compete with an Amazon or a Google in the long run and we're hosted on the infrastructure, how will we ever win? Um, it, just, it just didn't seem, if you, if you just plan it out and you, you do the numbers behind this, um, you will inevitably have a more expensive product. And, and so we made the choice to build on our own hardware. And, um, you know, our investors at the time, they weren't that pleased with it, I would say, but they accepted it. I think now they would agree that that was probably one of the single greatest decisions we made. And I think that's an example, again, where we had to really think far ahead and uh, and really calculate out that this was best for us, even if this is a more unusual move at the time. Yeah, definitely. And what would you tell the under 30 community today? Is it to play chess before they start a company or some other piece of advice that you think that the under 30s should really um, use as their guiding light? I think um, what I would say is, First is there. there is going to be a huge amount of opportunity in AI, what I call application businesses. Um, and I think this is something that um, on, on the one hand, it's, it's interesting, it's, it's almost going to be, there's going to be too many people going into it, but at the same time, I think there's also going to be not enough people building um, very useful, like kind of vertical specific applications. And I think that is where there's going to be a lot of value. Um, and I think that's what I would say is if you're a younger founder now looking for something that could be a little bit more called capital efficient, maybe you can build on top of other APIs, whether it's companies like OpenAI or even Hive, we've these products too. We want to make it easy for developers to build applications on top, right? I think it's something that um, you're going to see kind of like in the early days of, of mobile and apps that emerged, something like this is going to happen for, for AI. And I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity there. Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting today. I'm so excited to have talked about the business growth and everything that you've done. Sure. Happy to chat. Thanks.